Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Hermeneutics 101 podcast. It is Sunday, February the 24th, 2019. It is currently 7.51 p.m. Central Time. Well, not too long ago, the evening service at Victory Baptist Church came to a conclusion. I got in my car, I drove home, and I just walked in a few minutes ago. So I grabbed the iPad, and this is what I want to do. I want to take you back to that evening service at Victory Baptist Church because it was kind of unplanned, but it really turned into a lesson about hermeneutics. The goal was to give us an overview on the Gospel of Mark, because here at Victory Baptist Church for the next three months, starting on March 1st, for three months, the focus will be the Gospel of Mark. It may not show up as the focus on all of the preaching, but I'm trying to get everyone in the congregation to read the Gospel of Mark, and I've provided everyone a Bible study guide on the Gospel of Mark. However, I want them to think in a hermeneutical way about the Gospel of Mark. So in this overview, I start pointing out that's an observation, observational questions, the importance of observation to do hermeneutics, interpretation. I start going through some of the things I talked about earlier today in the first episode of Hermeneutics 101 podcast. But I think it'll be interesting to just kind of hear this being done at a, in, a, in a church service with a congregation. Um, we look at some of the structure uh, things that we find in the Gospel of Mark that we think is interesting. Everyone in the congregation has a Bible dictionary open because we have Bible dictionaries provided to everyone in our church. All the pews have a Bible dictionary because we, we sometimes just open the dictionary and look at a, a, a reference to something. Because again, I'm trying to equip saints. I'm not trying to find... The, the goal of Victory Baptist Church is not to fill pews with people who are just there to listen, just to have a church service, just to there, there for fun, food, and entertainment. No, the church is a place to equip saints for the work of ministry, to be a place of challenge, a place of rebuke, a place of comfort, a place of encouragement. There's a lot of things that are supposed to happen, but it's dealing. It's a place where the Word of God is central. It is the, the, the thing that we're there for. We're there for the Word of God. We're not there for, for a social club. So when people walk into our church, we try to be an alternative. We try to say, we're going to do things different than everyone else. We know it's not for everyone, but tonight is a good example of that. Hey, we're going to, we're going to do an overview of the Gospel of Mark, but you're not just going to be sitting there passively. I'm going to be challenging you, giving you things to look at, giving you things to do. So I tell them to, to, to read the Gospel of Mark and write these things down and write these things down. And in doing that, I'm giving them well, some hermeneutical homework to do. So I thought I would share this um, with the Hermeneutics uh, 101 podcast. I think this is the best place for this message, the best place for this, I guess you could call it sermon, this lesson. So that's why I am sharing it here and not in the typical sermon section of um, our church app. Now, just so that people know, I know this is a new podcast. This podcast is really to provide content for the hermeneutics section of the church app. If you do not have the church app, then trust me, you're not getting all the content. You can get the app by going to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, doing a search for VBC66, VBC66, VBC, which stands for Victory Baptist Church, and the number 66 all run together, VBC66. Get the app. Right now in the hermeneutics section, you'll see um, 10, 10 facts about hermeneutics, um, and then there's nine of them underneath that in written form. And then there's 10 from someone from uh, Oxford University. There, it's an interesting approach to hermeneutics that they offer, but that's there. You can watch that video and read those nine things. The first episode is also there as well. But I just wanted to, to, to place tonight's message in this context. I think it fits more in the context of hermeneutics and Bible study. So... Let's do that. Let's go back to the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church this evening, February the 24th, Sunday. It started at uh, 6 p.m. We went for over an hour just digging in to the Gospel of Mark. So grab a notebook, grab something to write with, sit back, listen carefully, 
And well, you'll learn a little bit about hermeneutics and Bible study, but in a more practical way. Not in. Uh, I think you'll. I think you'll find this helpful and beneficial. If you have any questions, please let us know. If you're using our app, you can use the f feedback tab. All right, here we go. This was earlier this evening at Victory Baptist Church. So let's go to the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church and listen to our overview on the Gospel of Mark, which really turned into a lesson about hermeneutics. I hope you enjoy. I hope you benefit from it. God bless. Okay, tonight, grab your Bible dictionaries. That's what you need. If you need one, there's one right here. You may need one. We got one. Do you want, need one, Diane? All right. Bible dictionaries. All right, this morning we did some devotional work. Today we do some more straightforward kind of academic work, but it'll be important. All right, look up the uh, entry for the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, it shows up on page 798 in your edition of the Bible Dictionary. All right. Now, I don't know how I'm going to do things this quarter with the, the Bible study guides. I don't really know. Um, of course, the way I envision these things being used, not maybe quite the way it's worked out, but um, we're still obviously at times through the next three months, starting March the 1st, moving forward, there will be, I can at least promise you this, there'll, there'll be at least messages, obviously coming from the Gospel of Mark at different times. Um, there'll be probably some Wednesday night discussions of things related to the Gospel of Mark, and there'll probably be some recordings that show up on the app related to the Gospel of Mark. Um, obviously, with the Bible study guide, at the bare minimum, what I've been begging and begging people to do is at least do the Bible reading plan. It's very simple. You've got three months to read the Gospel of Mark, which could be done in almost 16 chapters. I mean, I don't, know how, I don't even know how you can break it down to be three months for 16 chapters. I don't even understand how that's humanly... I don't, in fact, I need to look at it. Like, how is that humanly possible? Uh, they, they found a way. That's insane. I, I didn't even think you could break 16 chapters down in a three-month reading plan, but they did. All right, so uh, do I... Four verses. So the key is read, 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 read. I cannot stress enough uh, doing that, um, reading something every single day, um, because I mean that's, you know, that's the minimum. That's the minimum. You you can and again, I know you're busy, but uh, that's you know we're paying a lot of money to have that app. All you got to pull it out, hit Bible, go to Mark, read, hit the speaker. Just walk around, listen to it, okay? <laughs> It'll take you, just walk around. Uh, you know, buy one of those little uh, Bluetooth speakers. They're cheap. And you can put the phone down and just listen to Mark being read to you, okay? <laughs> read, let it read to you all day. Right? You can, uh, and again, reading is such a critical part because God's Word is supposed to be our food. And so do that as much as possible. Um, it is beneficial. And then, of course, the Bible study guide is there for all the other things it offers. All right. But one thing, one of the things we wanted to do once we got the Bible, uh, the dictionaries, was we were going to use the dictionaries as a church to look at different concepts. So this is a good time to introduce ourselves to the Gospel of Mark, see what we can learn, and get us at least a basic overview. And then if we don't do anything else with it, at least you got an overview of the Gospel of Mark. If you do look at the Bible study guide, or if you read the Gospel of Mark, even if you don't do the Bible study guide, then you'll have a, a skeleton in which to put I remember the overview of a book is kind of the skeleton. And then when you begin to read and study, then you can kind of put um, all the flesh on the skeleton so that becomes something living and, and meaningful to you. All right, let's do some work. Everybody ready? Gospel of Mark. 45 minutes. We'll see what we can accomplish. All right, <clears throat> page 798. Mark, Gospel of, the second book of the New Testament and the earliest of the four Gospels. All right, why is that significant? <clears throat> is there any reason that's significant? Yes. 
Okay, good. When it comes to a lot of times dealing with the Gospels, you get into lots of arguments, okay? Uh, who wrote the Gospel? Where do they get the information from? Uh, were they borrowing from one of the other Gospels? Well, there's direct quotes or, okay, they could. Well, if this is the earliest, then we would make an argument they weren't pulling from the other Gospels, but where did they get the information from? And there's lots of, of things we'll get into. So just knowing those kinds of things, knowing um, where the book falls in can, can help with sometimes arguments, textual arguments. It's always good to know. So it's the second book of the New Testament. It is the earliest of the four Gospels. Immediately tells you that our canon was not put together in a, which one was written first. Right? So just keep that in mind. All right? Uh, the second book of the New Testament, the earliest of the four Gospels. According to most New Testament scholars... What's, key, what's the key word there? Most. And that doesn't mean all. So that means you immediately need to be aware not everyone may agree with this. And you may need to, so, and just because everyone, since the majority does, may not necessarily mean the majority is right. We have to figure out what they're going to say and just try to understand it from there. All right, but according to most New Testament scholars, the Gospel of Mark portrays the person of Jesus more by what he does than by what he says. All right. The Gospel of Mark supposedly demonstrates Jesus. Its whole idea of trying to let us understand Jesus is not by what he says, by his actions. So, we're inter so that immediately, what interpretive challenge does this present to you? I've got to interpret action. I have to interpret action. Right? I'm not interpreting words. Actions uh, may require a different way of trying to interpret them, right? Because what could, what could challenge how I interpret an action? Well, just like what can change thing can happen with uh, words, you're interpreting things maybe through a presupposition. He does a certain thing, you have a presupposition about why he does that, so you interpret it based off that. We have to kind of step back and go, okay, what's the action, and how do I, do I even interpret the action, or do I just simply note or observe the action? Like, that's a big question, right? Like, I see an action, what do I, do I interpret that in any way? Because now I'm trying to interpret I'm just, I just see something happening, and now I'm trying to assign meaning to it. I tr I'm trying to assign motive to it. I'm trying to assign purpose to it. In some cases, that's hard to do. That's dangerous. Would everyone agree? Yeah. Sometimes it just shows an action. Now, so in some cases, what may be required? If Mark gives me the action, does another gospel provide the words? So if there are words that go with an action, I may need to have to go to the other gospel to get the words. Does that make sense? And if you notice, just because I always tell you to interpret uh, art, pictures, movies, everything, the cover of the Bible study guide? is a picture of action, right? So he, guess what that tells me? Remember, this picture is an interpretation, right? They're interpreting the Gospel of Mark for you. Just in a picture. You know how many people look at that and not even pay attention? There's someone on a bicycle. There's cars zooming around them. It's showing action. Mark is a gospel of action. Action. So interpreting that is, produces some hermeneutical challenges that we will have to consider. All right? Everybody okay, Everybody okay with that? All right. Uh, so again, according to uh, most New Testament scholars, the Gospel of Mark portrays the person of Jesus more by what he does than by, he, by what he says. Please note, that is what most say. You read the Gospel of Mark for yourself and you draw that conclusion. Don't, don't allow that to influence the way you read it. Just read it and see if you, if you think that uh, you agree with that or disagree with that. All right. Um, it is characterized by a vivid, direct style that leaves the impression of familiarity with the original events. Uh -huh. Stop right there. Why is that critical? Ah, <coughs> uh, this could be a situation where the writer, right, or the source of this gospel was an eyewitness. An eyewitness. Now, what's good about having an eyewitness? 
Well, some argue eyewitness accounts are the less reliable when it comes to police officers and crime, okay? But in this particular case with a historical document, an eyewitness is more reliable than people or not because at least they were there. So at least they, they have to get some burden of, there's, there's a burden of proof for anyone who's going to question the eyewitness. Does that make sense? They're claiming that the way it's written, it shows a familiarity. It may show that the person is knowledgeable of these events in a very intimate way. All right. Now again, that's, a, that's an interpretation, right? That's an interpretation. They're, they are reading this saying, hey, it seems that the person knows about these events. You're going to have, you have to read it for yourself. I mean, that's the key. Right? Although Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, it pays close attention to the matters of human interest. Hmm. Making lots of claims, is it not? Mark is fond of linking the episodes of Jesus' ministry together with catchwords, for example, immediately then, rather than editorial comment. And frequently, he interrupts a long story by inserting a smaller one within it. All right. Now, that part right there, that is key. Let me make sure you understand this. That is what you should learn to do. I talked about this in the recording I did for the hermeneutics section today. Um, and you already know this stuff. This is nothing new for this church. When it comes to, um, I'm going to kind of repeat a little bit what I said today because I think this is important here. And then we'll go back and reread that. When it comes to a Bible, right, your goal is to understand it, correct? What four things is required for a proper understanding of the book? What are four things that are required? Okay, very well, well, just start with reading. First is reading. Now, reading is not interpretation. Reading is not study. Reading is not even application. Reading is simply the gathering of information and knowledge. The more I read, the more I know, right? If I read, 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 then I know, okay, first, uh, uh, Genesis 1, this, Genesis 2, is that a second account? Okay, Genesis 3, okay, fall. Four, five. I got a genealogy. In that genealogy, all these people are dying. That may go back to Genesis three, six. Oh, I got this flood. Like, yeah, I can just start going from chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter to chapter. And you should be able to do that. If someone names a chapter, you should be able to say, ah, that's there. Reading gives you the knowledge, which is going to be critical to getting to an understanding. Okay, so you have knowledge. What else after knowledge, or after reading? Reading gives us the knowledge. After reading, what's required? Study. And study is observation. Study is observation. Study is not interpretation. All the study methods are about ob observational skills. Chapter summary method, observing everything in a chapter. Word study, observing everything about a word. Biographical method, understanding or observing everything about a person. It's not about uh, interpretation. It's about observation. So you have to read. Then you have to observe. What did the dictionary just provide for you there? Made an observation. Now they're offering kind of an interpretation with it, but it is offering an observation. And what's the observation they made about the text? Let's go back and reread it. Um, it's, uh, okay, Mark is fond of linking the episodes of Jesus' ministry together with catch words, for example, immediately and then. So as they go through the episodes... They see these little catchwords that seem to show up immediately, then, immediately, then, which kind of fits the idea that this is action. Immediately, then. Like, here's one thing that happens immediately, then. Another, immediately, then. They, they observe that. Now, they're also off, they're not quite off, offering an interpretation yet, but it's an observation. That's what you have to learn to do when you read. When you read, it leads to a study, and the study is writing down your observation. You have to observe. I've, so many times when I, when I teach and I'll say something about a scripture and, and someone will say, I never saw that. And I sit there and go, how did you not see it? It's in the same words that I'm reading, right? Like, because you're not doing observation because you're not studying, 
Reading is not study. Study always requires reading. But when you read, you have to learn to observe. That means study. You have to write down observation. They gave you an observation. Are you going to observe the same thing? Well, it depends on how closely you read and if you're going to do any study. What else do they say? Rather than editorial comment, and frequently he interrupts a larger story by inserting a smaller one within it. Now that's weird. That's a weird way to do it, right? Here's a larger story, and all of a sudden in the middle, here's a smaller story. Now, that's going to impact how you interpret what? The, story, the longer story. Well, wait a minute, Where's the, does, the little story, does the smaller story fit in with the larger story? Does the, do I separate the larger story from the smaller story? Why did he insert it? Now you've got interpretive questions, but you can't interpret that until you observe it. So, when it comes to understanding, you have to read. Everybody got that? You have to read. Secondly, you have to study, which is all observation-based. All observation, study is simply the skill of observing. Right? Then, you go to interpretation. Now, you've got to figure out what the text means by what it says. Now, you need skills for interpretation. Those are hermeneutical systems, all kinds of questions. And then, after interpretation is application. Only after you've done all four, listen, only after you've done all four can you say, this is what the text means. If you haven't done all four, don't say that's what the text means. You don't know. And I want to make sure it's very clear. If you're ever having some discussion with a fellow quote-unquote Christian, and you start having a disagreement, step back. Ask observational questions to see how much they've observed from the text. If they can't answer the observation, stop the debate. It's useless. It's a waste of your time. You have a better, you'll have a more successful conversation by going outside and arguing with a rock. And I, and I know people get offended when I say that. You're saying, because why you haven't, you can't have an argument. You can't, you're trying to fight for interpretation, their interpretation versus your interpretation, but neither one of you can have an interpretation until you first have read, 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 so you know, observe, 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 because you can't interpret what you haven't observed. Then I have to determine the quality of your observation, because the quality of your interpretation is dependent upon the quality of your observation. And then after you've done that, there's still another thing you need to do. And what's number four? Application. Now you have to apply what it means based off what it says. Not what it means to you, but what it says. These are critical. The dictionary just gave you observations. Doesn't completely tell us what they mean, do they? That's fine. So when you read Mark, what should you be looking out for? These little catchwords that seem to link things together. That's something you, you want to put. Look out for. When I'm reading Mark, look out for these. What else do you need to look out for? A shorter sto story in, placed in the middle of a longer one. So what do you do? If I'm, if I'm reading, let's just say, and I know, I know, I know everyone shakes their head at me, but, you know, notebooks, 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 everyone should have them. If I'm reading Mark, okay, and I, they, they give you uh, an example. Um, Mark chapter 1, right? Or Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, right? Okay, if I'm reading that, what do I need to write down? Okay, I write down the entire passage I'm reading, and then I write down longer story goes from Mark 5 here to here. The shorter story is interjected here to here. Larger story resumes here to here. I just need that written on paper, okay? Now, then I have to step back and go, why is a smaller story placed in the middle of this? Now, I don't know if you can come up with the answer. I don't know if I can come up with the answer. But that's important. So, what, 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 let's say, you, let's say and we won't do it right now. We may come back and do this maybe Wednesday. We don't know. We also got that Matthew 27 problem to work on that we, I mentioned this morning. So, we got a lot of things to work on. We always do. Get more and more. But let me, let's just say this. Let's say 
that this observation the dictionary is making is true. All right? So let's say we find the first short story in Mark. And we find the sh first short story where, not only is it a short story, but it's a short story, or a long story, I should say, where a short story has been placed in the middle. All right. Once that happens, the first thing you should do is observe it, right? Agreed? Because that, that's what we've been talking about. What should you do after you make that observation? What are some steps you should take to be able to even hope to come up with um, an interpretation? First you observe it. There's your study. Now what should you do? What do you think? What would you do? I know that's funny. Like, why do I come to Victory Baptist Church? Other pastors would not ask me this question. Why do I come to this stinking church? I understand. Thank you. Yes. Now, what do we want to see? Do the, how do the other gospels handle? Do the other gospels record the larger story as one unit? Do they record the short story? And do they put the short story connected with the longer story? Or do they not even put the two together? If none of the other Gospels put the two together, that's not helpful. If they link them together, that could be helpful. If none of the other Gospels put them together, then that means in Mark, the only way, that you can make an argument, the only way to interpret it is to forget the short story, put the long story together, put the short story together, and don't even worry about it. But then you have to ask, well, why did Mark do that? Right? These are the kind of observations you have to observe. And I know most Christians have never been taught to read it that way. They just read it and they don't even stop to go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because reading without observation is a waste of time. Other than you're getting knowledge. Now, if you read and study at some point. Now, like let's say on a Monday you don't have any time to do study, but you're just reading. So you read, say, Mark chapter 1. Well, then the next day, let's say now I got a little time to do a little study and a little observation. I go back and read the same chapter. Now I do some observation. Now I've read it twice. Hopefully my observation will be better. Right? But if all you ever do is read and not study, you don't, know, you don't understand the Bible. You don't know the Bible. You should not even pretend that you know the Bible because you can't. I mean, that's an observation. And guess how you're going to find that observation? You're going to have to read the book probably more than once. And what are you going to have to also do? Sit down to do observation. It, it's it's an intentional effort. It doesn't just happen by mistake. Will everyone agree with that? All right. I think that is critical. Okay. All right. I didn't know this was going to turn into a hermeneutics lesson, but that's probably because right before I got here, I was recording a hermeneutics lesson. So now hermeneutics is on my mind. But this, this is a great example of it. All right. I, I want to dig into these examples they give us, but that, that'll stop us. But, but you see the examples they give? You may want to write them down. Mark 5, 21 through 43. Mark 5, 21 through 43. 6, verses 6 through 30. 11, chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. 14, verses 1 through 11. Mark 5, 21 through 43. Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 30. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. And Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Write those down. If you have time this week, read those. I, I know, well, actually, we don't even have to start reading the Gospel of Mark until March 1st. So just between now and March 1st, read those and see if you see what you see. And please, 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 by all means, if you see something, email me and let me know because I would love to know what you see. Because, uh, and, and be prepared. If I like your email, I'll throw it in the hermeneutics section of the app, okay? Because I can say, look, this is what some other people found because that could be helpful um, for other people who may do this. We'll see how many people will get to uh, participate in that. But I'm, I'm now fascinated. That's an observation I can't even say, I've ever noticed that. Has anybody else here ever picked that up in Mark? It's not, I'm just having a hard time, can, like, did I not see that? What, like, what, what are they referencing? I'm so curious to go do, but we want to get, the, we don't want to do it because once we do that, you know what will happen. We're going to be in those stories between now and 2023, okay? So, but we'll, we'll find a way to work on those stories. All right. Any questions about that?
That's kind of the basic overview. Simply put, it's one of the, it's one of the shortest Gospels, right? It's the earliest Gospel, possibly. It seems to be focused on action, possibly coming from someone who intimately is knowledgeable of the facts. And it seems to have a certain... Two observations are made. The, the catch words that link things together, events together, and then this idea of taking a longer story and placing a shorter story in the middle of it. We'll have to see exactly what they're referencing there. They don't explain it, do they? In some ways, that's good. Because... It's an observation, they're not interpreting it, so that's good. All right, next, uh, this, the next heading here is the structure of the gospel. The go gospel of Mark can be divided roughly into two parts. Now, this is always important. Why? Structure can be helpful in interpretation. Observing structure can be critical in your interpretation, right? So, but it's an observation. Doesn't mean everyone would agree on this observation. The only way you're going to know is that reading the book over and over and over and over. All right? But let's see what they say. The Gospel of Mark can be divided roughly into two parts. Jesus' ministry in Galilee, chapters 1 through 9. Jesus' ministry in Galilee, chapters 1 through 9. The second part. Jesus' ministry in Judea and Jerusalem, chapters 10 through 16. All right, they say it can be broken down into those two parts. Anything interesting about those two parts? What is significant about those two parts? Okay, well, let's do it this way. First interesting observation about this division is it's geographical based. So you may want to know the geography. So you may want to look up Galilee. Look up Judea. Know, know, the, know the geography, right? You can use Bible Atlas. You can use, uh, we could look up references in the dictionary. No, a little, so it is geographical based, agreed? What else is it based on? His ministry, it seems to be based on his actions in those geographical regions. It's not, it's not divided by sermons or parables or any dialogue, it seems to be like, here's his ministry here, here's his ministry there. I'm not saying there's no dialogue mentioned, but just seems that the structure seems to begin to be focused on action. This is what he did in these areas. These are what he, this is what he did in these areas. So it's geographically divided, which is interesting. Is there, is there significance in it? I don't know. That's interpretation. This is simply observation. Everybody see the, see the difference? See the difference? Okay. All right, so that's interesting. Mark begins his gospel with the appearance of John the Baptist. That's interesting. Why? No, that, it's interesting for this purpose. That means the gospel ignores what event? The birth, right? Now, why is that important to know? It's important to know because some skeptic will come along and go, the earlier gospel did not have the virgin birth, therefore the virgin birth is a later addition added by people as, after Jesus started becoming a mythological, creature, a mythological figure and not a historical figure. Right? Myth always takes time. Myth takes time to be added to the original story. That would be an argument. Right? You just need to be aware of that kind of argument. Okay, and that's, that's, that's usually the argument of how it, it begins. So you just need to, you need to be aware of that. Like, those are little observations to be aware of. I, is it there? It's not. Now, what, what should be interesting is, is there any reference to it at any other time in the Gospel of Mark? I don't know. But it's definitely not there. Agreed? Right, you, can, you can go, in fact, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. All right, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, 
That's how it starts. As it, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance. There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. You see all this is going on. He's preaching and um, where Jesus shows up where? Verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. There you go. He's, our, he's already an adult. Just shows up. No explanation to his origin. Just be aware of those facts. Right? Because when, when a skeptic or someone comes along with that, you are aware. Yes, Mark starts that way. Why does he start that way? Well, you, you can make, again, listen. And this is very important. Now, these are presuppositions, right? These are presuppositions. But if our presupposition is that the four Gospels were always intended to be read together, then his focus wasn't on the birth. His focus was on his action and his ministry, right? You can make an argument. That doesn't prove one thing, but it's just something to take note of. That's where it starts, right? So he begins his uh, gospel with the appearance of John the Baptist, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, followed by the baptism of Jesus, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He comments on the temptation of Jesus only briefly, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, and concludes his introduction by a capsule of Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 15. So they see 1 through 15 as an introduction. And the focus is on Jesus basically showing up and being prepared for the ministry. And then what his message of his ministry is. And the message of his ministry is, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, believe. Right? That seems to be the way they structure this all right that it is an interesting structure and why, why we have to that here's the thing you have to observe the structure before you can interpret the structure i know you're getting tired of me saying that but that's okay uh, then follows a series of 14 brief stories depicting jesus as a teacher healer and exorcist in and around his hometown of capernaum stop right there all right they make an observation again. After that introduction, they say the introduction stops with what verse? Verse 15. After that, you read of how many stories they say? 14. If you want a little hermeneutical exercise, okay, because the key to hermeneutics is observation, right? Identify the 14 stories. Just go through, just skim your Bible. Just say, here's story number one. Here's story number two. Here's story number three. Just write down the reference. You just skim it. Okay? You don't have to read. Speed read. Just go, oh, here's the beginning of the story. There's the end of the story. All right. Chapter one, verse this to this. Boom. And you could write down a, just a brief description of what the story is about. Right? Brief description. Just identify the 14 stories. Don't interpret the stories. Observe the stories. Sound good? All right. 14. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting concept, right? It begins with 14 stories about what Jesus did, not about 14 stories about what Jesus said. First three chapters? Okay. So it's possible, possible that, that all those stories take place right there. That's something to, to, to an observation. What's, what are they going for? What's, what's the author's intent? Now we're getting into interpretation, but we have to, first we have to observe the stories and go, hmm, here's the key. When you're looking at the, once you find those stories, ask yourself, is there anything interesting about the way they're structured? Is there in, anything interested in the way they laid out? Is there anything interesting in the order? Right? Observe. Order, wording, how it flows from one story to the next, is it, do you, do, you, do, you, do you see a chronology or not a chronology? There's no, it's not in chronological order at all. Does it go from a smaller miracle to a bigger miracle? Like, 
Is there any reason for, is there a significance to the number? These are all observations. Now, you're asking observational questions, and you're not trying to interpret them. You're trying to see if this text answers any of those questions. Does that make sense? Remember in some of the Bible study methods, you have to write down observational questions before you go to the text, and then you see if the text can answer your observational questions. In this case, just find the 14 stories and, and write down anything you find. Or Even if you don't write it down, just remember it somewhere. Tell someone, okay? Grab your phone and record a voice memo, okay? You don't even have to write, okay? Here you go, all right. I, th I just think that's an interesting way this, this works, all right? So, it comments, uh, let's go through this again. I'll back this up. Um, so, we have the, the two parts it's broken into, all right? Mark begins the gospel with the appearance of John the Baptist, chapter 1, 2 through 8, followed by the baptism, verses 1, 9 through 11. He comments on the temptation of Jesus only briefly, one, chapter 1, 12 through 13, and concludes his introduction by a capsule of Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. Just note from uh, historical purposes, church history, um, that is also the uh, verse used for Ash Wednesday. When they place the ash upon you, they, they state this verse, okay? Yeah, that's one of the ones, yeah. Just interesting to know. Um, then follows a series of 14 brief stories depicting Jesus as teacher, healer, and exorcist in and around his hometown of Capernaum. Now they say, here's the thing, do all 14 stories, does those three descriptions capture all 14 stories? Teacher, healer, and exorcist, or is he described in other ways in those 14 stories? That's something for you to figure out. In these stories, Jesus often is in conflict with the Jewish authorities of his day. In chapter 4, Mark assembles a number of Jesus' parables. Oh, stop right there. Does it go from story of action to now the parables? I don't know. You're going to have to see as you read. I know what you're saying. No, I come to church for you to tell me. No, I come to church to get you to actually care about the Word of God and do some reading on your own, right? In chapter 4, Mark assembles a number of Jesus' parables. In each parable, Jesus uses common experiences to tell who God is and what human beings can become. Stop right there. Now, that, this is an observation that it's a parable, but that observation is critical for you. Are you going to use the same means of interpretation, the stories, as you are the parables? And everyone should answer, no. You can't use the same method of interpretation. The stories and the parables are different. Stories, are, we, we read them as literal history, actual accounts. The parable, it's just a story. We don't know if it happened. doesn't matter if it happened. In fact, it's not even about the... the Every aspect of it. It's a parable. It's a story to illustrate a bigger idea. We often say an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The, the thing is it's an earthly story that's, that has a, a spiritual principle. My job in the parables are to do what? Figure out the principle, not sit there and try to assign meaning to everything in the story. So just in Mark... Just the way it's structured, you're going to have to be prepared to have a different kind of understanding and how you're going to have to handle uh, the text. Does that make sense? All right. Now, when you are reading those parables, what is something you should probably take note of in your observations? How many parables? Write down the number of parables. And as you're writing, what, what, what you may be asking yourself, what parables are missing? Now, why is that important? Does he pick certain parables because those parables somehow, are they connected to the 14 stories that come before? Do the 14 stories have some connection to the parables or are they just not even linked together? Why does he choose certain parables? Do the certain parables that he picks fit into the overall theme? If the overall theme is his action, do, do the parables are more action-focused or ideal-focused? What, what's, the, what's the purpose here? Does that make sense? These are observations you want to ask. 
So you get the 14 stories, we get parables. It doesn't tell us how many parables, does it? I, would, I think it should. That would be an important observation for us to figure out, all right? Okay, we could probably figure out really quick, but we don't have time, all right? Everybody understand why we would ask those questions about those parables? Yeah? Now, what, is it, what does it say in the next line? In each parable, Jesus uses common experiences to tell who God is and what human beings can become. Now, what are they offering there? That's an interpretation. Very good. That's an interpretation. Don't let that change the way you read the parables. Right? You're going to read the parable, and you have to let what the parable says determine what it's trying to do. I don't know, I don't know if that's accurate or not accurate. Don't, don't let that sway you. Right? Uh, Mark then resumes the activities of Jesus as an open-air preacher and healer with a series of 17 more episodes. All right. We go. So this is the way. Let's follow this, the way they're outlining this. Introduction. Chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 1, verse 15. Right? Okay. Then there's a brief description of the... Um, Temptation? Am I right? Oh, that's 12 and 13. Okay, so no. So 15 is, that's it. That's the introduction. After 15, what do we get? A series of 14 stories. 14 stories. All right? So introduction, series of 14 stories. Then what do we have? Parables. We have parables. After the parables, what do we get? They call them episodes, all right? But if it's more, it has to be a reference back to the stories. So 17 or stories, all right? 17, that's interesting. This is all ev uh, focused on event, action. What happened? What happened? What happened? But it's in 14 parable. It'd be interesting to know how many parables, right? Okay, and then 17 more. Everybody get that? Yeah, I know, I know. I, it makes me want to go look up how many parables, but we're already going to run out of time and we're not going to finish this because you people talk too much. Okay. All right, here we go. The, and that ends in chapter 8, verse 26. And you're right. That all takes place in just the first part of the gospel. That's a lot of stuff going on. Agreed? That's a lot. So that's going to be easy to do what? What's going to be your temptation? Just fly through it. You're not even going to, you're not even going to slow, you're going to just like, oh, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. You may commit, miss complete observation. This is a warning to you. This observation is a warning to you, hey, hey, I better slow down here. Because what do you have a tendency to do with the actions? Do, do they feel complicated? No. Do they feel, they feel significant because Jesus is doing something, but it's not like, wait a minute, what does he mean here? You're just like, oh, and you could miss some key things in your observations. All right. The first half of the gospel reaches a climax when Jesus is en route to Caesarea Philippi and asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Chapter 8, verse 27. Peter responds, you are the Christ. And Jesus then shocks the disciples by explaining that the Christ must suffer and die. Now let's stop right here. That observation to me screams at the possibility of an interpretation. <laughs> All right? Here's the reason why. If that is kind of like the turning point, right? You have the introduction, you have these stories, you have parables, you have more stories, and then this is kind of the transition from the first half to the second half. I can understand the transition first and what it's pointing back forward to, right? It's now changing the atmosphere of what Jesus did to now we're leading up to how he died. Correct? So the focus is going to turn where the action that's going to ultimately lead to his death. I can interpret that fine, but here's the question I have. This transition starts with what question? Is it possible? Uh, now, this is an observational question. Is it possible that the 
actions, the parables, and the actions preceding that question gives the answer to that question. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if we can say yes. I mean, right? Okay. It, it's, it's possible, maybe. Okay. I don't even know. I don't even know if it's possible. I, I'm just throwing it out there. It's just in it, like the structure is interesting, right? That noting structure is critical to interpretation. That's an interesting question. All of a sudden, if that question is put in a place that is the transition of the way it's structured, right? The question is, I don't think this is in any major chronological order, right? I don't think it is. So if it's not, then the author purposely puts that question there to transition from the first half to the second half. We understand how the transition now is going to change the attention to what Jesus did to what he did now to lead to his death. So my question is, everything that precedes the question does it offer an answer to it? I don't know if it does. I don't even know if it's a possibility. I'm throwing it out there as a possible observational question that guess who has to answer? You, the reader. You, the reader. You have to figure that out. I'm like, no, I come to church for you to give me answers. No, you don't. You come to be equipped to study the scriptures. All right. Okay. Are they there, and do they provide the answer to Jesus' question? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think these, these stories are outlined in any chronological way. I don't know if they are. I don't, I don't even know if this event. That happens a lot of times. Even the Gospel of John, you're like, wait a minute. Where did that, that story happen? That, that, that's why you have to have a harmony of the Gospel? Like, because the harmony of the gospel is like, no, this, that story actually takes place here. Sometimes the, the, sometimes the accounts are put there for the purpose of the narrative because they want to use it for a, a point, not to give you a timeline. Does that make sense? Okay. Oh, right. Right. And that's true. I think there's something significant about that as well. Uh, because they're like, hey, these actions all take place here. Now everything else is going to happen. He, he's going to be moving. He's, yeah, he's going to his death. Right. So they're, they're looking at it more from that perspective. Like, look, here's everything that happened. Then here's the turning point. He tells them, hey, guys, I'm going to die. Now let's go. And he's going to march right to his death through whatever actions that take place. Those actions are going to be focused on what leads to his death. I think these actions, even though they happen in a different place, may be actions focused on who he is. That's just, I'm just throwing that out there. That's an interpretation, but it's based off this observation. You have to determine that if you decide this, the next three months to read this. I think you can answer it. I think everyone here can be able to do You don't need my help to figure that out. We may come back to it and answer it as a group, but it's a good question. All right? Okay, we're out of time. So where did we stop? We'll just try to finish. I'm going to go back to the first half of the gospel, that, that, uh, that paragraph right there. I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to read without stopping until we get to authorship and date. All right? I'm going to try. Okay, here we go. Take a deep breath. Don't stop, just read. Don't stop, just read. I can do it. I can do it. The f that is not very nice. Okay. All right, here we go. The first half of the gospel reaches a climax when Jesus is en route to Caesarea Philippi and asks his disciples, Who do men say that I am? Chapter 8, verse 27. Peter responds, You are the Christ. Chapter 8, verse 29. And Jesus then shocks the disciples by explaining that Christ must suffer and die, and whoever desires to be his disciple must be prepared for the same. Yeah, that's always good news. Okay, oh. Chapter 8, verse 31 through chapter 9, verse 1. A glorious transfiguration of Jesus immediately follows this pronouncement. It shows that the Father in heaven confirms Jesus' role as a suffering Messiah. Chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. That's interesting the way it's structured, but well, I won't. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm trying. I'm, oh. All right. Then follows another series of 
23 stories as Jesus journeys to Jerusalem for the Passover. In the various encounters included in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tries to drive home the truth he taught at Peter's confession that uh, Messiahship and discipleship involves suffering. When, uh, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, for even the Son of Man did not come to be, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Chapter 10, 43-45. Chapter 13 contains a discourse of Jesus on the end of the age. Chapters 14-15 include the Passion story with accounts of Jesus' betrayal, his last uh, supper with his disciples, his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. At the end, Jesus suffers passively as a sheep before his shears is, uh, before its shears is silent. In the oldest manuscript, the gospel ends with an angel announcing the resurrection of Jesus. Please note, most manuscripts end in verse 8. How many verses are in chapter 16 of Mark? Do you me tell you? 20. Most manuscripts end in 8. Alright? I bet you the NIV even breaks it apart and says these don't belong. Okay, alright. Yeah, um, makes a note. And that's a good, that's the one good thing the NIV does do that uh, King James doesn't. Okay. Um, it doesn't, there's a lot of people who don't believe that last part belongs, raises lots of questions, but I want to make it very clear, if it ends in verse 8, listen to me carefully, it does account and testify of the resurrection. Alright, keep that in mind. It does say, some skeptics try to argue that the earliest manuscripts did not include the resurrection, so that means the earliest, the earliest story of Jesus does not include his virgin birth and does not include his resurrection. Therefore, the virgin birth and the resurrection are mythological uh, ideas that were added to the life of Jesus later on. But if it ends in 8, it ends with the announcement of his resurrection. Agreed? Okay. So just keep that in mind. Um, no, no. The la re last, last part of uh, Mark, there's lots of, <laughs> lots of controversy with the last part of uh, Mark 16. We'll get there. All right. Any questions? Any questions? No. All right. So, what you if if you and for these for anybody listening, what we have kind of done is I've kind of laid out a hermeneutical challenge for you for the Gospel of Mark. And what do I want you to do? And and I know when I whenever I say hermeneutics, some people get mad at me. Because when I say hermeneutics, I include observation and study. I know the word hermeneutics comes from a Greek word that means interpret, and hermeneutics really applies to interpretation. But I include observation with hermeneutics because you cannot interpret what you do not observe. Observation to me is 90% of the work of interpretation. You say, some people may ask, what's your method of interpretation? You know what I say? observation. That's my method of interpretation. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to read the section at least five times minimum, okay, and then I'm going to run a series of observational study methods. I may run a chapter summary method. I may do a devotional method. I may do a tr uh, thematic method, a topical method. I, don't, I may use a, m a multitude of methods to make sure that when I am done, what do I have? In a notebook, observation after observation after observation. Then I can go run interpretation. And people are like, that's a weird method. No, that's the right method. Because now, whatever method of... Because here's the thing. When it comes to hermeneutics, is there a variety of ways you can do hermeneutics? Are there all kinds of different systems of hermeneutics? We can all agree. Historical, grammatical, allegorical. There's all these different methods. Okay. What's the best way to determine the accuracy of a method? By your ability to do observation. Because if you do a good observation and a method of interpretation goes against what's clearly observed, I can come along and say, no, no. A, a allegorical hermeneutic 
We'll, we'll call it that. Wants to argue that when I read the Old Testament and I read Israel, I'm seeing this thing called spiritual Israel, right? And so I'm to interpret all these promises to Israel in a spiritual way given to a spiritual body which includes us. That sounds good. But when we went and we threw, a, we threw out all methods of, of hermeneutics, did we not? We didn't take a system. What did we turn to? Observation for six months. I, it was literally almost six months. Looking up, I don't know, two, you had the number, 2,000 plus references. No church would do that because that sounds boring. It is boring. It is academic. You may not like it, but you, uh, hopefully you thank me for it because no one can now ever come back and tell you that that word means something different because you have observed with your own eyes every time the word was used. And there was only other than one case was there even a question. Right? So what method did we use? Observation. Observation, I don't care what. Then it does all the systems of, of uh, hermeneutics, they're not confusing to me. I'm like, okay, give me your system. Let's run your system. Wait, according to my observation, I see a problem here, see a problem there, see a problem there, see a problem here, see a problem there. I hope that makes I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. And I know that that's like I know that if I was in a hermeneutics class, I'd probably get kicked out just for making that argument. But I don't care because it's about finding truth. It's not about winning which hermeneutical system works. Observation everyone can do. You don't need a seminary education to do observation. You just got to be taught how to do an observation. And I just gave you how to do an observation, right? There's an interpretation being offered up that hey, in the middle of Mark. He asked this question, and that is the turning point in the gospel. Okay, I'm not going to argue that, but that question, now I'm going to ask some observation. Is it possible that everything we observed coming up before, story, parable, stories, do, do those possibly have anything to do with this question? Now, I'm going to ask that as an observation. Now, I'm going to go back, read everything, and then when I get to that question, I may go, nope. Question's just the turning point. Doesn't mean anything. I may read the rest of it. Remember how many things come after the question? 23, I think. Yeah. 23 stories. Now, do those 23 stories have anything to do with Jesus saying, hey guys, um, I'm going to die, and if you're coming after me, you better be prepared to die. Does everything leading up to that come to that? That's an observational question. When I'm done, I can answer those questions based off my observation now, certain methods of, of hermeneutics will come into play there, but I'm saying I can still observe that. Does that make sense? I cannot stress observation, 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 observation. That's, that's, I think that's so key. And there's just a lot of, uh, not a lot of observation that happens in churches. Everybody runs to interpretation. You do the same thing. You do the same. I, I do the same thing. I read and you want to start throwing out, like, no, nah, I've got to spend more time observing. That's why I love the fact that, you know, at least back in the day, uh, navigators would do those 15-hour, a whole day, 12 to 15 hours. All you do all day is observation over one book of the Bible. There's no interpretation. 12 to 15 hours of observation, observation, observation. And like that book that I was reading, you know, she, she was all arrogant thinking, man, I, I study the Bible more than everyone. I can knock this out. And then she, when she got put in a situation where she had to do 12 to 15 hours of observation... She didn't know what to do 20 minutes after being there. Because nobody's ever probably placed themselves through. Can you imagine how, much, how many of the doctrinal disputes in Christianity would be cleared up if people would spend 20 hours doing observation and no interpretation? Like, I, to this day, I still don't know how we have an argument over infant baptism. From a textual basis. From a textual basis. Because, like, you're... You, what are you observing that I'm missing? You know what I'm saying? What are you doing? All right, so enough, enough with that. And uh, just one last thing. If you didn't see today on the app, I posted, uh, it's the 25-year anniversary of the Toronto Blessing. Major turning point in church history. Um, and, and all of our lifetimes, if you don't remember it, ooh, you, ooh, you should have. And if you've never watched the video of that one hour of insanity that changed church forever, you should find the video of that one hour that changed church history. But you should listen to their discussion. 
Uh, it's about 44, 45 minutes. Um, it's not long, and uh, it will give you kind of the background and history and how they are preparing. The, that same movement is now preparing for another. They're already trying to set the seeds for the next. And if the next thing is anything t as significant as the Toronto Blessing was, you're talking about another change in church history in your lifetime. And the Toronto Blessing is an absolute her heretical nightmare of craziness that occurred. And yeah, yeah, you should know about it. You should know it, man. You should know the Toronto Blessing. You should know it, all right? You've got to know that you got to know the error so you can warn people from it. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We just thank you for an opportunity to be able to do this kind of study. We know that what we're doing here is draft. I mean, what we're doing tonight doesn't happen in churches. For some weird reason, it happens in seminary classrooms, and then pastors don't ever do anything with it when they arrive at their churches to be pastors. Um, Lord, I pray that we never take it for granted what we have here that we do everything we can to preserve what we have here for until we are no longer breathing, that we can be a church that tries to do something different. We may not be perfect, and we don't ever believe that we are, Lord, and we ask you to forgive us for all of our errors. But, Lord, we just pray that we would always have this spirit of being willing to do things differently, and if there's anyone out there who wants something different, we pray they would, you would bring them here so that they too can support what we're trying to do. It's, it, I know it's not for everyone, and it never was designed to be for everyone, but I am thankful that we can come in here on a Sunday night and do something that is apparently radical, but we, I believe is the very heart of what you want us to do. You gave us your word in a written form. We should be willing to dig into this and take it apart and know how to study it so that we find truth and not just what we want. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,